Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside the street, in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing, untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, in your hands you're holding a palm branch. Uh, maybe you've made it into a cross already, but maybe it's still the, the frond. Um, if this sermon gets boring, you know what you can do with your frond. But you can pay attention too. This, this frond connects you. I, I often ask the, the question in, as I'm studying the Bible, where am I in this story? Well, as I'm holding this, this palm frond, I'm... I know where I am in that story. I'm standing there with my palm front, waving Jesus, putting it down before him, and, and being part of that crowd, waving as, and shouting Hosanna as Jesus rides by. I'm holding a palm of victory because that's what these things are. They are palms of victory. Whenever uh, this was a, a ritual, a, a, a this is something they did whenever a, a conquering general or a conquering king would come into the city after winning a battle. And they, they would, it would be on cue. They would, first of all, there would be heralds come, come by. When, it, when a king won a, a great battle and was returning, the heralds would go before him with their trumpets and, and you know, listen, the king has won a great battle, everybody. This is the greatest news, and, you know, victory has, has, is ours. So the heralds would come, and then that would be the cue. Everybody grab their, their palms and, and, you know, line the streets, go out of the city and line the streets that lead to the city so that it's this huge thing, a huge parade. And then, they'd, then came the king in shining armor. And it, riding on a beautiful, powerful horse, straining at the reins. And, and behind the king came the officers, and they were holding banners of the, of the, the conquered armies. You know, the armies that had clashed, they, they, they took those banners, and they were now holding them, saying, ha, look at what we did. We conquered that army, that king. 
And behind the officers came the gallant soldiers, worthy of admiration and, and applause. And then behind all that came the ragtag procession of captured generals and ranking officers in chains, living proof of what happens when you defy this king. And the people would cheer, and they'd wave their palm branches and hail the conquering hero. What a glorious king. We are safe because this king has won this battle. And, we were, and, and these people would rejoice because, once again, they could live on the land in peace and freedom. And then the king would come into the city, and he'd go to the temple, and he'd give thanks for his victory. And that's what Judas Maccabeus did about 200 years before Jesus. This Jewish conqueror who, who won a decisive battle against the, the kings that were in charge of, of the, the land, he, he and his rebels beat them. And Judas Maccabeus came into Jerusalem, conquering. As, and he, he had the sword of the king of Samaria with him, and he, he held on to that sword until he died. And he went to the temple, and he cleansed the temple of all the idols that the, the, those pagans had put in, in place of true worship in the temple. And, and he was there, and he gave thanks to God for this great victory, the conquering king. And so you are holding a palm of victory. But then you read this passage, and, and you think, well, this is not your typical victory parade now, is it? If, if you were there, you would be standing and, and on the side and you watch, what would you be watching? You would be watching, well, 12 men growing in front of another man riding a small donkey. In Mark's bare bones telling of this story, it's all there. But something seems a little off. You know, there, there is the donkey, there's the crowds, there's the palm branches, there's the shouts of Hosanna, but it's just a bit muted, a little bit ragtag. And at the height of the story, at, at, the, at the place where, where, you know, this is the greatest moment, this is the high point in, in this conquering king's um, parade, when Jesus gets into the city and enters the temple gates, what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't cleanse it. He doesn't occupy it. He doesn't, you know, make his stand and, 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 you know, gather all the people behind him. It says, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What? This is not the act of a triumphant king taking his rightful place in glory. It's as if Jesus is a tourist. Taking a look around and noticing that everything was closed, shrugging his shoulder and saying, well, guys, it's getting late. Let's go back to our room in Bethany. What kind of victory parade is this anyway? There had not been a battle. This was no celebration of the one who finally defeated the Romans and kicked him out of Israel like everybody wanted the Messiah to. That's, that would have been, that's, what, that's the, the victory they were waiting for. That's what they were looking for from the, from the Messiah. That's the only one worthy of celebrating. 
the Messiah would surely have done as much. And yet there was something in this procession that they recognized, something here that piqued their interest, that moved them to celebrate. Because this is Jesus, and the people knew who Jesus was. They knew this was a rabbi. They knew that this was somebody different. He was a wonder worker. He was a miracle man. He was, he was someone who came and, 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 and changed things and, and stirred things around and, and made people think and, and, and stirred their hearts and spoke with authority and, and, and stood there in front of the people presenting himself as the one from God. And they knew the rumors of his being the long-promised Messiah. And they also knew the prophecy of Zechariah that says the Messiah would come lowly and humble, riding on a, on a colt, as it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And so they rejoice. There's the cue, and there's the response. Here comes the man on the donkey. We rejoice because here's the king. Here's the, the Messiah. And this is, this is enough to get them rejoicing. Calling out Hosanna. Asking this Messiah, save us. But, but there seems to be a little lack of understanding. A, some lack of clarity about what's going on here. You know, we always say that at, at this moment, like, do they really know what they're doing? Do they really know who they're cheering on? Do, th do they understand? You know, a week later, they're going to be cru calling crucified. Do they understand what they're doing today? Did the disciples even know what they were doing today? As John writes about this event, at first, his, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So it seems like Jesus is the only one who knows what's going on here. Jesus is the one who truly understood what was unfolding because after all, he had set it all up. From the borrowed donkey to the rehearsed speech to anyone who objected to the physical act of riding a colt through the streets of Jerusalem, he had set the whole parade up, attending to the small details in order to make his point. After all, he is the king entering his capital city. And there is a victory here, and Jesus was going to have it celebrated, even if the ones celebrating don't even understand what they're celebrating. We who know the whole story, though, can stand here with our palm branches because we know the story. We are truly celebrating the coming of the king, the triumphant king who's about to win the ultimate victory over death and sin. But the battle that Jesus won wasn't done on the plains of Ashkelon, or, or somewhere in another place in, in Israel. The, the victory Jesus was going to win was in Jerusalem itself. In Jerusalem. And it was still coming. And Jesus has not backed away from this. And he was ready for it to happen. And he was presenting himself for that battle. And that, that in itself 
is worth celebrating today. He did not walk away. He did not run from the pain. He ran to the pain. And Mark is so keen to show how Jesus set this whole parade up. And it's a way for Jesus to set up a conflict in Jerusalem. Because he knew who it would upset. He knew what, would, it, would set, what it would set in motion. He knew that this was Passover. This is Passover time. This is, this is the highest point in the, in the calendar. When the whole nation is gathered at the temple to celebrate God's freedom, God's liberty, God freed us from oppression and slavery. And there was always a certain amount of tension in the air because why are the Romans still in control of the Holy Land? When will God free us from the slavery of the Roman occupation? When will the Messiah come and take our country back? And so the Romans were on high alert. Their fortress overlooked the temple, and they kept a watchful eye. And mindful of this being the place where the revolution would begin. The restless province of Rome, or this restless province in the Roman Empire needed a firm hand at every turn, and they were watching. And then the religious leaders, who kept a careful balance of placating the occupying Romans and being open to the movement of God and bringing the Messiah, they were wary as well, because any well-meaning but effective or ineffective rebellion would ruin everything. They didn't want any wannabe Messiah coming in to town and, and causing a ruckus and really being ineffective and not doing anything. And all it would do is upset the tenuous balance of power that they maintained because their delicate balancing act enabled people access to the temple. It enabled people to come and worship God. And, and that was a victory in itself in their minds. So if this was the true Messiah, it would be obvious, and we'll get behind it. But any wild-eyed, charismatic band of zealots making a grab for power, yeah, we're not having any of that. We're going to snuff that out pretty quick. So all the leaders, whether it was religious or political, were on high alert as Jesus entered Jerusalem. No doubt their ears picked up when they heard the cheers and their stress went up as they watched the scene unfold. What is this? Why are the crowds waving palm branches of victory? What, what are they doing? Why is that a donkey he's riding? Oh no, he's not riding a donkey. Oh, can you imagine? They knew it too. It didn't actually need to have caused that much trouble. In, in one of her sermons, Fleming Rutledge speaks about the downward impression, or downscale impression of this event. This does not proclaim worldly success. This is your anti-status symbol. This is the anti-power mo move. It's ridiculous. In the eyes of the world, this is a foolish event. A man riding a donkey yeah, with 12 people. Uh-huh. How easy would it have been for those leaders to say, nothing to see here, people. Move on. It's going to be okay. But, but we have palm branches in our hands today. And we're cheering Jesus as he enters Jerusalem because we know, 
we know Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. And he knows it, and he accepts it, and he knows that this parade will force the hand of the powers in Jerusalem. They would perceive arrogance. Who is this who takes upon himself this mantle of, of the lowly king of Israel, the savior of the nation? And they would feel threatened. What victory has he won? What power does he have? What's his game plan? How can we let this stand? We need to regain the control of the narrative here, guys. And quickly, or else we're going to have more trouble on our hands than we know what to do with. And they would not be able to stop themselves from taking vicious action. And Jesus is going to be handed over to that and to the hatred and the cynical power of the leaders of the day. Soon enough, the crowds who, who today are shouting Hosanna are going to say, crucify. And they, he will be mocked by the soldiers. Hail, king of the Jews, yeah. And be spat upon and have a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp and die a horrible death. Jesus knows all this. And he understands the deep irony of this event. He's, here he is, heralded as a king and praised, and yet on his way to death, which is actually a world-shaping victory. He's about to suffer the worst humiliation possible, death on the cross. There was no worse way to die. They hadn't yet come up with one more frightful, one more demoralizing, one more pathetic and agonizing way of killing a person than by a cross. And yet here he was on his way to embrace it. His death is the path to life. And we are holding palm branches to celebrate this. Make no mistake, this is a victory parade. Here comes the one who will come, or who will open up a new way to the living God, a new way to live in this world. Here comes the one who will do the one act that will set us free and give us peace. Nobody could have, have anticipated that it looked like this. It was counterintuitive. And the Messiah was the suffering servant, the one who had to suffer, be rejected, and die on a cross. A seed must die in order for the, the harvest to come. And that's what we celebrate today. And the secular mind doesn't understand this and the, one, the mind without God doesn't get it. They might have a sense that something noble is happening. Yeah, you know, here comes a person and he does the right thing. Or he does something he, you know, is by his principles or something. But they don't get the power. They don't get the impact. The world doesn't understand that this parade of fools will wind its way to Jerusalem. And there Jesus will dismount. And he will courageously travel to the place where he will give his life as an offering. And his blood will set us free from the guilt and shame of our sin. And yet we who follow this parade. Who are, wind up in the place where we will find forgiveness. And where we will learn to forgive others. And we will learn even to forgive our enemies. And, and we will find a wisdom that reveals that you don't find your life until you give it away. And you'll find an abundant life you can't find anywhere else and a way to live in the world that the world just can't give. So we stand at the side of the road cheering him on 
we know that he will win for us something that will last for eternity. Years ago, my wife's aunt, Tante Dean, was dying. And she was this tough-minded, feisty woman who had served bravely in the Dutch resistance in World War II. And she knew it was near her time. And in her typical manner, she spoke gruffly about her funeral and especially her casket. Don't put any flowers on my casket, she said. Uh, I, you know, you don't have to, you know, none of this flowery perfume that masks over everything. And she said, put a single palm branch on it. Because when I die, I join the victory of Christ. So the family put a single elegant palm branch on her casket. And that was the power of, of Christ for her, for all of us. Because she knew that she would trade all her sin and her brokenness and be in Christ's presence and eternally rejoice at the joy of this victory. And I know florists won't like this. But what if we Christians just decorated our caskets with a palm branch that speaks of victory in Christ? You know, we, we hold our palm fronds today and we think about such things. And we join the victory parade not only today, but also into Holy Week. Those palm fronds invite us to keep on following as Christ enters his passion and suffering from our sins. And we journey to Good Friday, to the day Christ was crucified, and to Resurrection Sunday when Christ arose and we hold fast to this victory. On this journey, we find something we can't find anywhere else. Forgiveness, new life, for, for eternity. And we find a king who brings life and makes all things new. So we join that parade. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, with those crowds, we say, Hosanna. We shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for you have come and you have fought for us, and you have won a great victory. And we praise your holy and glorious name for all that it means for us, for forgiveness, for mercy, for abundant life and eternal life. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.